Hey, happy Wednesday. Uh, a little later getting into the studio this afternoon than normal, so trying to get my computer screens all arranged and, and ready to roll here. Uh, welcome into the Basement Doctor Studio. This is Cookie and the Monster. I'm John Cook alongside my partner Garrett Seawright. We are with you Monday through Friday from 4 to 6 and happy to be with you today. Well, happy to be here in the studio. You know, I've got a little bit of a drive from work. And I, am, I, I hear my brother who lives north of Tampa and one of my real good friends that lives just south of Cincinnati talk about traffic and have never been more thankful to live where I live because I hear about... At one point, I had a really good buddy that worked in the city of Cincinnati right downtown, but he lived in northern Kentucky. Seven and a half miles, I think he told me, from his home to his office. And for the four or five months that he did this before he decided to hell with it, I'm going to like... He, he formed a partnership with a buddy of his and they do their own business and they work from home four and a half five months whatever he never made it in less than an hour and a half it's a bit rough seven and a half months so so today when i'm getting in here like i got you first of all you can't come i can't come like i want to down market to, to maine and and little short turn off there because the square is basically they're trying to make it not a square <laughs> correct so, trying to make it a circle yeah so i i so i'm trying to fix so i come in over a couple of blocks and i'm thinking it's a couple of blocks sat at one red light through through two changes got to move a block got to the next red light and it turns green and it's like 349 and i'm right right here like i can see <laughs> my parking spot and so when it turns green then the guy in front of me turns on his left turn signal with 14 cars coming toward us and we sit there, and I'm thinking I'm not going. But I got in just before, but I didn't quite have the computer screens ready. So I'm, I'm ready to roll now. And I, I promised myself during my drive as I listened to what was left of game one of the Reds doubleheader that I wasn't going to let that bring me in here on a complete downer. Although <laughs> and I, yet. I, I, I will have to point out, though, that, that uh, their bullpen, the Reds' bullpen today, gave up a whopping total of two hits after the fourth inning. Prob, prob, two, problem is. Problem is, those two hits... Got the Cardinals to 14. Oh. Well, I was going to say, problem is Wade Miley gave yeah. up 12. Right, right. The two hits at the bullpen gave up, got him to 14, because Wade Miley, in his four innings of stellar work, gave up 12 hits and five runs. So we're not going to talk about that uh, right now. We, we may talk about that in a little bit. Um, we do have an announcement of, of sorts to make, uh, a little bit of a change to Lima Senior schedule again. Yeah, Lima Senior sending out a release a little bit ago that they are going to play Springfield High School on Saturday night at Spartan Stadium uh, after their game with Mansfield Senior got canceled for Friday night. So they're going to play Springfield on Saturday night. Springfield on Saturday. Is that a 7 o'clock kick? 7 o'clock kick on Saturday night at Spartan Stadium here in downtown Lima. Yeah, and and it probably makes me a bad human. I can't can't stop calling it Lima Stadium. And I, I probably try not to on the air, but in casual conversation, I'm not sure I've ever said Spartan Stadium. Well, there's... The problem with that is there are hundreds of Spartan stadiums. There, yeah, that, that, there, there was true. one, one, Lima one stadium, Lima stadium. Uh, and, but, and but nobody asked. Hebert still play there, right? Uh, they do, um, <laughs> okay. which is why it's called Spartan Stadium. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. Nobody, well, nobody asked me at the time. I, I just need, needn't have that conversation on these airways necessarily, but uh, is true nonetheless. So I, I tried to spend last night kind of getting a little bit away from the sports scene. You know, Reds don't play. Don't have to stress about that. Not a lot going on. It was a pretty good night. I got to relax a little bit. Fortunately, unfortunately for me, relaxing means I had to pay some bills and do some laundry because, you know, adulting sucks. Uh, but 
I was like looking forward to today. Reds have a doubleheader, you know, got this kind of thing going for us. We are, what are we, 28 hours from Buckeye football? Um, I believe so. I believe it's an 8 o'clock kick. Give, give or take 28 hours from Buckeye football. We are 27 hours, 54 minutes, and 40 seconds. Okay, I, I need I know. need that, that kind of 27 hours away from Buckeye football. That There's a lot to be said about that by itself. That, that to me, if you're a listener to this program, there's a, la- a very strong likelihood that you feel strongly about Buckeye football. You either love it and you are very, very excited about the prospects of the season, or, or you might be one of those people from this area that roots for Michigan, so you hate Buckeye football. And, 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 and it'll, it'll elicit some sort of response from you that they play on Thursday, and, and you'll be rooting for Minnesota. Um I just can't. I, I, I'm. I can't get ready for the NFL yet. That's what's. I, that's what's been missing for me. I've been wondering why I'm not plugged in. It, it doesn't feel like the NFL should be starting yet. And and I guess we're still a little more than, a little less than two weeks, whatever, away from the start. But I, oh, I mean, we're eight days from the opener on next Thursday night. Yeah, you know, I'm. No, I'm normally a lot more excited about about the NFL than I seem to be right now. I'm not, I can't put my finger on why that is. It was ninety-five degrees last week. Straight, <laughs> it was it was a hundred degrees last week. That is not football weather to me, at least. Um, I I don't envy the folks where last Friday night the Allen East fans on the side on the visiting side of Commodore Field at Perry were absolutely baking in the sun. See, I- and I thought I'm so glad that I'm one over here, but also that I, I don't. I don't feel like I have to go to a visiting game or something like that because they were they were baking. Maybe that's maybe that is what what is it? it still feels too much like summer it's, for it's me. It's still to be a little summery in NFL ready. Maybe that's what it is. I've, I honestly can't put my finger on it. I, I, I've I've dabbled with the idea, Garrett, to be. And I'd like to. I, I really, if, if any of our listeners want to weigh in throughout the course of the program, this would be the one question that I would ask: Is does it feel like it's NFL time for you? Are you ready? I guess that's two questions, but they kind of go hand in hand. And, and really, I mean, I'm just having a hard time gearing up. And I think it's one of three things. And I hadn't thought about the weather. Maybe that's right. But the weather's never been an issue for me. I wouldn't care if, if we played football and it was 90 every time. I don't play. So, and I don't officiate. So, I, you know, I can watch it on TV. But number one with the NFL, uh, I lost touch with it last year. Like, like the pandemic just didn't well, – I wasn't I, plugged I, in. I was going to bring that up. Is it because that was the one thing that we got everything of last year? We got 16 regular season games and a full playoffs, and we didn't have a shortened, disjointed season that started here and ended here or ended out of turn. It was the exact normal that we grow to expect outside of the Baltimore Ravens played the Pittsburgh Steelers on a Wednesday at 3.40 in the afternoon or whatever. Well, and I think all that, because I think if you go back to the March before, the fact that COVID did what it did to everybody's sports life, by the time football got here last year, even though the NFL was quote-unquote normal, I wasn't very plugged in. I'm a Steeler fan, and they were 11-0, and I don't remember being that excited about it. Right. Now, I'm also a, a guy who's famously pessimistic, and when they stopped being 11-0 and looked like they forgot to play football, I was all about complaining about that. But I, I literally think that had a lot to do with I spent a whole season just not being that invested in mm-hmm. the NFL, and now they've gone to an extra game. It feels like you know they've reduced the preseason, so uh, it just seems to have gotten here quicker. I, I, that, that's part of it. The other part of it for me is I, I think possibly 
I don't know how to I don't know how to process where the Browns are. <laughs> like I, I'm not a Browns fan, so I don't have that optimism. I'm not a Browns hater per se because they've been so irrelevant right. for so long. I've lost <laughs> that passion. Like you've, right, you've got you know people who are Browns fans that you feel kind of sad for that you, you've had your Sundays ruined in the fall for the last. 30 years <laughs> yeah so. and and it's 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 and don't take this the wrong way but it was a little bit like being an ohio state fan in the ohio state michigan rivalry in the cooper years and it's got to be the same way being a michigan fan now where you start to have that conversation of well is is michigan still the biggest rival and and with the browns being what they are i'm excited for my friends that are browns fans but i don't know how to read it i don't know how to take it um honestly uh, i've never really been into that whole patrick mahomes like drooling fest i think he's Mm -hmm. very good and very fun to watch but we saw in the super bowl that there's people thought he couldn't be defended well he can right (laughs) you get guys around his feet and keep him in a pot i mean it can be it can be done Uh, there's just something about this nfl season getting ready to start that is missing for me and i can't figure out what it is it's not that i'm not gonna watch i am gonna watch assuming that someone in my house will allow me to have access to a television when it's on i'm planning to watch a lot of nfl football i'm just I, i spent today realizing like it's here, and I am super pumped about Ohio State playing tomorrow night, and I probably won't – I just hadn't thought about things getting started. And then I think you throw into that all of the COVID stuff that's going on with the NFL and how it's impacted the league. It's kind of tearing the league apart a little bit. I just have had a hard time. And, again, I was not one of those people. I know people who, when guys were taking a knee, they swore off the NFL. Mm-hmm. I don't see that whole dynamic the way some people see it. That didn't – it didn't drive me one way or the other. Right. I tried to see it for what it was supposed to be, and, and it was guys using a platform to make a statement, and and that by itself, I didn't. It didn't bother me. But there's just something about the start of this NFL season that is absolutely missing for me, and I don't have the excitement that I generally have, and I'm not sure ex- exactly what the cause is. No, I, I, I I'm not a hundred percent the same way, just because I'm not. I'm ready to watch some football. I I will go through a lull there after about week five, where it's like, okay, I don't need to watch the Thursday night game between Jacksonville and Cincinnati. I don't, I don't need to watch that. I don't need to watch the Sunday at four twenty-five game between the Raiders and the Broncos. But it's somewhat out of mowing, right? right. (laughs) If if I gotta like, hey, we're gonna edge the driveway. Ah, we can't, honey. It's the Chargers and Dolphins. And how am I supposed to? As the driveway then. You know what else I could blame it on? I could blame it on the fact that Nebraska, Illinois, and UCLA, Hawaii were such drivel that I just, it just completely soured me for at least a oh, couple of you, weeks. You, bowling, you can turn Bowling Green, Tennessee into, oh. into avoiding whatever you needed to. I got a thought on Bowling Green, Tennessee. is something I'd like to do. We'll talk about that off air. We're going to take our first Don Jiggs Jeweler timeout. When we come back, we're going to get into our Twitter poll questions ahead of a dis- discussion with Jeff Richards. Uh, high school football ahead this week. And uh, Coach Richards and the Pirates are going to be uh, locked up in, I think, what what could be a good one uh, or expect will be a good one. And we're going to have hit, get his thoughts about the NWC as a whole and about his football team as a part of our show today. You'll want to join us on the other side of this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. I am John Cook. He's Garrett Seawright. We're Cooking the Monster, and this is Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Cooking the Monster, me and Garrett, presented as always by Jerry Lewis McDonald's. You can apply at work at mcd.com. You can work today and get paid tomorrow at Lewis Family McDonald's. Um, I, 
I tried to avoid complaining about the Reds, and I guess I don't do a very good job sometimes of, of realizing that not everybody is following and seeing what's going on. If, if I wasn't clear, the Reds lost today 5-4 in, in the first game of a doubleheader to the Cardinals. They had a two-and-a-half game lead on the Cardinals for uh, the second wild card spot. We're tied with the Padres for said wild card spot. Um, so without the Padres even playing, they've, they've reassumed that second wild card spot by a half game over the Reds, and of course at about 6.40, the Reds will play the second game of that doubleheader against the Cardinals to make up for yesterday's postponement. But they did lose 5-4, and I, I really, we're going to put that away until sometime in the, in the second hour uh, and, and talk more about the Reds' chase for the wild card. But we do have poll questions today. Garrett, let's talk poll questions. Yeah, so the first poll question we've got up is, should Major League Baseball doubleheaders be seven or nine innings? Because the Reds and Cardinals are going to play a bunch of a pair of seven inning games today. So we wanted to know, do you think they should be seven or nine? You can vote in our poll until 545 at 931 The Fan on Twitter. And right now, 54% say they should be nine innings, but it's much closer than I think I thought it would be. What do you say? I I like seven just because as personally as a fan, if I want to go to the ballpark and get two games, I don't know that I want to see two nine inning games. Like I like baseball. I don't know that I need 18 innings of it. Um, I understand why they went to seven last year. Like you can't play 18 inning games when you're playing like 60 games in 63 days. Like you just can't. You right. can't do it. Um, I, I just think I would. I rather be there for eight hours or six and a half. I'll go six and a half. Yeah, it's it's not an issue that that has, uh, strikes a chord with me either way. Except I'll say this to Major League Baseball. If you're going to tell them they have to play seven innings, then no hitters count. Right. Absolutely. They count. Absolutely they do. <laughs> like if you're if the game is scheduled for seven innings and Madison Bumgarner throws seven innings of no hit baseball, that is a no hitter. Whether you believe that it should be or not is irrelevant. If that's how long the game was scheduled for, that's a no hitter. I can get with seven or nine innings, but I again let let's give the guy a credit because you told him he could play seven. It wasn't his choice. Right. If, I'm sure he would love to go for, to the ninth inning and try to complete the no-hitter. The problem would be that would be bad for his team. So uh, I, I, I I would prefer the doubleheaders be seven innings because I would hope – my hope is that there will be more doubleheaders someday, that Major League Baseball goes, you know what, this is really good. It's really popular with our fans. Let's everybody play let's, four of them a year. Right. Let's do some on Saturday afternoons or whatever. Instead of playing on to a bunch of Tuesdays or Wednesdays, let's play two games on Saturday or two games on Sunday. Ernie Banks or, thought it was a good idea. I, I'm i not sure he cared how many innings it was. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's, tr- <laughs> that's true. I'm I just, sure I, that, that's my hope is that there are more doubleheaders or even during weekdays where you play one during, like today. I, I want more afternoon baseball. I like afternoon baseball. I, I, I think it's fun to pay attention to that rather than work. Um, <laughs> so so I, I would I would rather pay attention to the Reds and Cardinals or the Indians and Royals or whatever than my job. So let's do that instead. See, I would too, but when it, when I get a report that I've got a kid down in the seventh period class that's got eyes that are a little bloodshot and he's not really responding very well to direct questions from the teacher, would I come remove him? I can't leave their game on while I go do that. Well, it's yeah, right. You, you just respond to them and be like, hold on, it's 5-4, Castellanos <laughs> is up in, in the bottom of the seventh. He's not really going anywhere, is he? I, I, will, be, I will be down there momentarily. <laughs> Uh, and our second poll question number two. Yeah, our second poll question is: It was 14 years ago today. Sweet, glorious 14 years ago today that Appalachian State. Beat, yes, that was me clapping. Beat Michigan. 
So was Appalachian State beating Michigan the biggest upset of all time? Seventy percent say yes, and I didn't. I didn't caveat it with biggest college football upset or whatever. Just biggest upset of all time. And the only reason it's seventy percent to thirty percent is because the Americans beat the Russians in hockey. Well, I was going to say, or like Buster Douglas <laughs> right. took down yeah, Mike Tyson. And that one, you know, that, that like, would be the two that would be pulling you the other direction. But I tell you what. Buster might have been a huge underdog. He was a big old boy with a strong right hand. I don't know what you knew anything about App State when that well, game started. So that so I was seventeen years old at the and all I all I could be bothered to watch was football. So I knew that Appalachian State was the like two time defending FCS national champion. And I, I like I loved Armani Edwards, the left handed quarterback from Appalachian State. I was like, This is gonna be awesome. And it was the very first day of football on Big Ten Network. The Big Ten Network had just started. And it was such a glorious beginning to the network and to see fifth-ranked Michigan lose to an FCS school. Well, I've got a, I, what I think, and personally it's my memory, so it's great to me. It may not be to you. I've got a story about that day, and I'll share that because we've got yeah, a we'll segment ta- yeah, we'll talk blocked off about later that. about that program. So those are our poll questions for today. You can vote in those until 545, and we encourage you to do so. We're going to take a Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. When we come back, we're going to visit with Bluffton High School football coach Jeff Richards ahead of the Pirates match up with the pilots of Ayersville High School this week in week three of high school football. So on the other side of this Don Jiggy's Jeweler timeout, you can join us for that conversation and more. He's Garrett. I am John. We're Cookie and the Monster, and this is Lima Sports Radio 93 on the fan. Welcome back into the Basement Doctor Studio. This is Cookie and the Monster. Garrett and I are with you every week, Monday through Friday, four to six, right here on Lima Sports Radio 93 on the fan. And uh, in this segment of the program, we are happy to welcome on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline, Bluffton High School head football coach Jeff Richards. The Pirates are looking at a matchup with Ayersville on Friday night, and uh, thrilled to have Coach Richards be able to join us and talk a little bit of high school football with Coach. Uh, Jeff, you got a, a win in week one that, that I'm going to assume maybe – your basketball team hopes that they can put up that many points in a couple of weekends <laughs> this winter. Uh, one in week two in overtime. So you've a big margin of victory and then an overtime win. Uh, I don't know that anyone has had a, a wild, that wide of a separation over two week swings uh, as you guys have. How do you feel about things? Yeah, you know, it's been a, uh, it's, I, you could call it a movie theater start. We, you know, we had a uh, school record for points and de- uh, point differential win week one and then. We score and get the two-point conversion with under 30 seconds left to force overtime and get a pick and then score on overtime to win it. You know, it's an exciting way to win. I, I will say I'd prefer the uh, the blowout win yeah, over sure. a uh, tight fighting from behind win any day, but I'll always take the win no matter how. Well, I'd, I'd say that's for sure. We, we would all agree with that. <laughs> Do you guys uh, feel like you benefit from the Northwest Conference schedule and only play in seven league games so you get the opportunity to to get to know your squad a little bit better before you jump into conference play like that? You know, it is something. It's nice, especially when you have some inexperienced guys. Um, but, you know, that same, same thing being said, all our opponents have that same, uh, you know, benefit. So when we get into the NWC schedule, you're not catching teams uh, as much as you might if you get a, a better team that has some inexperienced spots week one. Uh, sometimes you can catch a team off guard. Um, you know, we get into the conference schedule. Everybody's worked out a lot of the issues, and you're 
getting the best possible product they can put on the field most of the time. So it is nice, on, you know, as we look at ourselves because we can fix some problems and clean up some things before we get into that conference. Yeah, Jeff, you bring up that uh, that experience that, that you guys brought a lot back where maybe you, you've taken some lumps a couple of times over the last couple of years because you were playing some younger guys. That it, it sort of seemed like this was all sort of geared up to the 2021 season. Uh, how, how one, nice is it that you, you got the, the, those lumps out of the way, but you've got such an experienced group now here as you, you're looking to you know maybe gear towards the playoffs at this point in 2021? Yeah, you know, it's been a growing process, and with growing, with growing, there's pains. You know, we had a bunch of guys that had to start as freshmen for a few years. You know, our quarterback, Nate Schott, he's he started since he was a freshman. Our Two of our five starting offensive linemen, they've started since they were freshmen. And, you know, the early years there, they uh, they got a lot of experience probably before they were ready to get that experience. But now we look back on it and – it's one of those things we can smile about because of the men they are growing into and, and how great it is for our younger players now to have these veteran players in front of them. Uh, it makes our lives as coaches a lot easier, but then I think also culture-wise, you know, it gives those young guys something to, that they understand that we're at a point now where we don't just throw guys in. If they get on the field on a Friday night, it's because they've earned it. You've gotten yourself off to a good start, and obviously you just spoke to the level of experience that you have. When you look at your roster now and where you're at heading into this last non-league game, where do you feel like you can can focus on improvement? Yeah, you know, there's uh, definitely a lot of room for improvement. You know, week one we were thrilled about how we we did things, but we knew there was some probably some holes in our game that, that we got away with just based on, uh, you know, who we were playing and, and uh, physically, there was a mismatch there against a team like Pandora, which we knew, you know, they had a game that they lost against Grove, but we knew they were a solid team. It was just they started out against another very good, solid team. Uh, they exposed some weaknesses I think we had that we weren't really thinking about. Penalties were a big problem for us week two, so that's something we definitely needed to clean up. And then in the turnover side of the ball, you know, I actually am very happy with our defense and getting takeaways and then limiting teams in the run game. Uh, you know, week one, we held, I think, Corey Austin to negative 30 yards rushing for the whole game. And then week two, Pandora had a solid rushing attack, and, and we were able to hold them pretty well. So, uh, you know, defensively, that was a big focus for us in the off season because, you know, last year we were averaging giving up around 40 points a game. So to be where we're at right now, sitting at 2-0 and, uh, you know, having a, a slugfest with Pandora last week, but the defense made plays when they needed to to get us the win. Uh, that's something we're very happy about. Bluffton head coach Jeff Richards joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. Pirates have Ayersville on Friday. Uh, Jeff, when you mentioned the, the turnover difference, is that a little harder for you guys to win just because of the way the, the offense you guys run that you're pitching it all over the field maybe a little bit more than everybody else? Uh, yes and no. I mean, we've actually been very, you know, focused for years on taking care of the ball in the option phase of it. You know, our turnovers so far this year haven't even been off the option. They've been off of interceptions or uh, tipped passes or something like that. But, um, you know, it's a type of offense you have to be prepared that, you know, something's going to happen. We're we're kind of a gunslinger style offense in that it's a fast break every single play and, and 
the ball could pop out on a pitch. And so we have to be prepared with that. You know, a great thing we do with our guys is we emphasize safe pitches and not doing reckless things. Um, and having a senior at quarterback makes that a lot easier because he's lived through the growing pains of knowing what a safe pitch is and what a reckless pitch is. Jeff, you got Ayersville up on Friday night. The hay is just about in the barn with just one more day left of, of short prep. What can you tell us about the Pilots? You know, Ayersville is another really talented team. Um, you know, they had a pretty close game with Delphus Jefferson uh, last Friday and then had a pretty uh, sizable win against Delta week one. Um, you know, they have a very talented quarterback, talented running back. Uh, their defense plays very fast and, and physical. I think it's going to be a great kind of a smash mouth style game, but I think both of us uh, really want to run the ball as our primary way of moving it. But yet we both have the ability to throw when need be. I think it's really going to come down to turnovers and then converting on third down is going to be huge this week. Well, Jeff, uh, we wish you best of luck Friday. Congrats on the the early 2-0 start and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you. That's Jeff Richards, head football coach at Bluffton High School, joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline to talk about their game up on Friday night. And uh, a third non-league game, I mean, let's be honest, you get this point in the season, it's it's not that common to have 2-0 and versus 2-0. and right. uh, They got to 2-0 and very different ways, and you heard Coach Richards mention that. Uh, I don't know much at all about the Delta football program, except they've been traditionally not real good. Um, a 27-12 win in Week 1. Uh, for for Ayersville in that one, and then a 33-26 win over Jefferson probably gives Bluffton a little better idea, at least in terms of overall talent level, what they're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. When you can, I think that makes preparing that much easier. That you can look at that film and see how they compete and play against Delphus Jefferson. That you know Delphus Jefferson's personnel. You know uh, what Delphus Jefferson is capable of. That I think that makes things. A little easier to prepare for, but and you mentioned it at the start there that you know you win week one seventy five nothing, you win week two thirty four twenty eight in overtime. Things are a little a little different there, and in weeks one and two that you're pretty well kind of prepared for anything at this point. Now that you've you've seen both ends of the spectrum, well, and again, I, you know, we I talked about Ayersville's schedule a little bit. I mean, case in point as far as ends of the spectrum, Air, Ayersville's. You know, two and zero. We mentioned you know who their wins are against, but that that Delta team, that Delta team's got to win. They're one and one. They beat Cardinal Stritch forty two nothing, and and so we're still in that point where we're trying to figure out who we are. So most teams. So I right. think the idea that Jefferson went on the field and you've got a team that you know a lot about, you have a great familiarity with from a scouting and preparation standpoint. When you see Ayersville against Jefferson, you get a real uh, sense of, of understanding of exactly what they are. Uh, the, the important thing I think for probably Bluffton going into this game and coach kind of mentioned it is they play the way they play and they, they want to really get focused on their style and cleaning up the things they need to clean up and kind of let the cards fall where they may, it seems like he feels pretty confident for his team going into this week. Yeah, I think so, and I think part of that is is that he mentioned the this, just the sheer amount of seniors and, and guys who have played a lot of football for them that, that they're, they're trotting out on the field week after week after week. At the end of the day, does this game mean a whole lot to Bluffton? No, it's a Division Seven school when they're a Division Six school that you, you you know you hope you you beat Ayersville and you get a bunch of points from them. But Bluffton's got aspirations to finish in the top two or three or win the NWC. So does this game matter? Yes, no. But if you can clean up that stuff and 
some if you can do everything that you want to do, you can clean up the stuff that you want to clean up, get a win, set yourself up for your three and zero and an expanded playoff field. You got to like your chances to make the playoffs there after three wins. Though that's the stuff you're trying to accomplish, I think. If you're bluffing and if you can grab a win in the process, that's fine too. Bluffton and Ayersville, just a small part of a big week three of the high school football season, which is ahead of us on Friday night. And uh, we will be spending more time this week talking about the upcoming week three slate. Uh, I mean, I promise we will. We're obviously going to spend a lot of time talking about Ohio State uh, oh, and, their, yeah. and their game tomorrow night, probably in the next 24 hours or so as well. But uh, a big week three slate ahead of us, and, and you can catch uh, Elida and Audible Glandorf here on the fan on Friday night. Uh, but that Bluffton Ayersville matchup, a part of that week three slate. We're going to take our next Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. And uh, when we come back on the other side, of this timeout, I want to t- spend a little bit of time in, in what we're going to have left talking about maybe what my next job might be or maybe what your next job might be because it looks as though we're going to have an opportunity maybe to have a double interim position <laughs> filled in Major League Baseball. I'll uh, fill you in on that one when we come back on the other side of this timeout. We are Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio 93 One The Fan. Back here in the basement, Dr. Studio and uh, I'm I'm not gonna waste any time here. I'm really I want to get into this topic because I happen to stumble across this today. I, I just don't get a lot of chances to read um, the sports news during the day before school starts. You know, maybe on the lunch break. But I, I I don't know how many people are aware. First, let me start with this question, and we'll just do it kind of hypothetically. You know, in in theory, I'm I'm imagining the audience raising their hand. How many of you remember a guy named Jared Porter? Jared Porter was, maybe you'll remember this, fired by the New York Mets uh, back in January. I think it was January because ESPN had a report that he had sent sexually explicit, uninvited text messages and images. That's always the key part. Images to a female reporter back in 2016 when he was working for the Chicago Cubs. At this point, he had become general manager of the Mets. Now, do you, do you remember that? I'm going to assume that most people remember that. Yes. I, yes. I know Garrett remembers it. I remember it. And what I really didn't pay attention to at the time is that in January when that happened, he was replaced. Jared Porter was replaced by a guy named Zach Scott. Zach Scott was named interim general manager of the New York Mets. The same New York Mets, mind you, who have proceeded to have Oh, I don't know. How would you describe the season that the Mets have had? Ah, <laughs> uh, tumultuous is the word I would use. Here's what I would say. If I were the Mets, I would be thrilled that I could have arguments about thumbs up or thumbs down or players responding to fans and have that be the headline because it beats the living hell out of a guy sending pictures of his dong to a reporter and that leading to a firing of your GM. So as much as they didn't like their players, you know, Thumbs, down, thumbs downing their, their fans in response to being booed. As much as they wanted to get that immediately corrected, they've given themselves a new headline. And it's not Javi Baez's missing earring. that Apparently, so he slid into home plate last night for the win, and he, his earring popped off. And their analytics department even is zooming in on the video trying to find where his $10,000 earring is found. That's not, that's not their big issue today. Not their big issue. You want to fill people in on exactly what went on in, in, in the Mets world, so to speak? Just, just a general synopsis. Uh, the GM got all liquored up at the Charitable Foundation uh, fundraiser and decided it was a good idea to get behind, his wheel and get behind the wheel and, and try to drive home that night. Yeah. 
Yeah, he got at the, to, ch- at the charity fundraiser. He I, gets gassed up <laughs> and gets a Dewey on the way home. Yeah, Steve, Steve Cohen, the Mets owner, has a, a, a team fundraiser. Um, at his players you know, were in attendance at his mansion in Connecticut. For front office people, Westchester County. Uh, people, people in attendance early Tuesday. Uh, early. Zach early Scott Tuesday. was Zach oh, Scott was pulled over late Monday. Late Monday, early Tuesday. <laughs> Zach <laughs> Scott was pulled over and failed a field sobriety test. I'm I'm saying all this to say that the interim general manager of the New York Mets who replaced a guy who did what I just said a little bit ago that I'd like to not repeat because my there's a chance my wife's listening. Probably not very good. You don't ever want to talk about unsolicited. Picks. Yeah, text messages and images. I love and images. So that guy's out. You're in. You are given the interim tag for the season and just shy of <laughs> September. You can't make it eight months without <laughs> you, getting it doing. You get a DUI. So I'm going to guess that there's a chance that the, the Mets general manager job is open again. And if they don't give it to the guy in the copy room, you'd have a shot at it. Dust off that resume. Get send, yourself send it prepared. Over. Send it over, and and I you mean, could be the interim interim general manager. If you're if you're like like Coase was when he was with us, if you play in 14 fantasy leagues and three baseball leagues, and you're pretty good at it, maybe you got a shot to be the GM of the Mets. Just just part of the story of what it is to to experience the full Mets experience this year is that their interim general manager gets a DUI, F- failed a field sobriety test. Can I tell you a funny field sobriety test story? I've got all the time in the world. Uh, I, I okay. will always make time so, for field so sobriety test I, stories. I, I, I was an athletic director at a couple different high schools in my lifetime. And, and one of the high schools I was an athletic director at, um, we had to play an independent football schedule. And we go up to Danbury, Ohio to play Danbury Lakeside. Well, we get lightninged out. Oh. So we've got to turn around the next day and go back to Danbury. we got to drive it twice. And, and So at, at one point... We're supposed to have a trainer provided because our trainer's not traveling from the Lima area, you know, up there, the trainer that we had right. with the hospitals. And so they don't have a trainer when we get to Danbury. Well, our one of our guys gets his bell rung, and we've got nobody there. Like, I'm up in the stands watching. So one of our defensive assistants is over there kind of talking to him. And, and I, right before halftime, I make my way down to the field, and he's like, get over here. Where in the H is our trainer i said we don't have one and they didn't provide us one he goes look this kid got his bell rung i'm not sure exactly what's going on but the only thing i know how to do is a field sobriety test <laughs> because, <laughs> because i've had a few and he said they're gonna figure that out pretty soon i said just sit the kid out we'll, we'll figure it out after this he actually kind of was an important part of the team but um that that's my field sobriety test story just because i think it's funny see so just the defensive coordinators like all right start start letters backwards from z and the kids like ah. <laughs> i mean he was doing all the that's your nose right, right, kind of right. follow my one finger foot, one kind of foot here yeah. yeah he was doing it all so and and that was apparently the experience of of what was the guy's name zach scott zach, zach scott, scott yeah. interim gm of killing the, it of the new yeah. york mets which you know probably had a great chance to get the gm job you trade for javi Baez. you might put the mets somehow some way into the playoffs God willing, and then you're getting a DUI leaving the club's charity fundraiser it's at the a, owner's house. At the owner's house. At the owner's house. And, and and again, I asked what kind of year were they having because we knew about the recent blow-ups with the players and, and their resistance to, to being booed and their response to being booed. But, I mean, the Mets aren't, they're what, five, five and a half out in the division and five and a half out, I think, in the wild card, give or take. 
uh, you know, they had a chance. Yeah, they're five and a half out. In the and I'm not sure this is going to impact their chances, but boy, does it just throw another damper on on the season. And and for for people who are really ready to move on from baseball, unfortunately, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most Mets fans probably root for the Jets or the Giants. Probably. I don't, I don't know how not eager, getting any better. I don't know how eager they are to see the football season start. Either, and unfortunately, I'm not real sure. So. So that was a story I just wanted to make sure we got into because it's, it was a good way to set me into a decent mood before we start talking about the Reds. And uh, on the other side of this Don Jenkins jeweler timeout, the question that Gary and I are going to address is, are the Reds actively blowing the wild card? Now, there's active blowing the wild card and passively finding a way to lose out on the wild card. And uh, we're going to discuss what the difference in that might be. And uh, we appreciate you joining us thus far. Hope you'll come back on the other side of this Don Jenkins jeweler timeout. He's Garrett. I'm John Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio. 93 won the fan. Hey, our number two, Cookie and the Monster, John Cook and Garrett C. Right with you right here on Lima Sports Radio. 93 won the fan. Our number one in the books. Um, we had a little bit of Reds conversation to open the program just to mention that they happened to lose game one of their doubleheader with the Cardinals today. 5-4, a loser in that one because Wade Miley decided to abdicate his normally reliable uh, statistics and uh, not play to the back of his baseball card, so to speak, give up 12 hits and five runs in four innings. Yeah, but he was one-on-one one on one for one at the plate with two RBIs. Uh, yeah, here, two RBI double. You know, the, the, the phrase, people love it when a pitcher helps himself. I, yeah, I he he wasn't helping himself. He was trying to he was trying to minimize the size of the hole <laughs> to catch that up. he put himself in. That doesn't help you when you do that, but uh Bigger and better things, hopefully, in the second game of the doubleheader, although I'm, I'm looking at numbers and I'm not super optimistic. Jay Happ uh, for the Cards will take the hill. Hasn't obviously pitched very much this year. He's got a 3-0 and record. Got a 2.22 ERA. Only pitched 28 in the third innings. So uh, that's, that's, that's what we call a small sample size right. for the season. But we know what Happ is capable of. Sonny Gray going for the Reds. Um, I think a deceiving record at 6-6. At six and six. Again, what Sonny Gray is capable of is indisputable. We know what he's capable of. Problem is, it's it's the Reds. And and the question we asked before the break is, are they actively uh, blowing the wild card? Uh, they had put themselves in a position uh, where, you know, they were, what, two and a half, maybe even three games up for that second wild card. They were looking at matchups with the Marlins ahead of these matchups with the Cards. The, the Padres appeared to be completely defecating on themselves and watching this thing fall apart. They had fired their pitching coach a little over a week ago in the midst of, of a, what looked like a free fall. Um, and I, I didn't, for one, believe that, that this would come to fruition. I just didn't think it would. Um, I, I thought that they would, would handle the, the Marlins in both series, build themselves yeah. a sizable cushion, and the Cardinals games wouldn't have as much meaning, and yet they do. Um, <laughs> and yet here we sit. You know. <laughs> and, and, and so at 640, it's going to be an important game for the Reds that I had hoped it wouldn't be. Uh, we are interested in your opinions about where the Reds are, so we're going to go to line two. I got to bring him in, Garrett. Yeah, I got to click it in. Ben, yes. ben from Lima. Ben, are you there? Yeah, I was just uh, I was reading an article in the Cincinnati dot uh, com uh, on the website and. They're blaming not so much the Reds. They're blaming more the fans. The first game of the Cardinal series, they had 10,000 fans there, and half of them were Cardinal fans. They're saying that, you know, the Reds are notorious for 
the fans making excuses, you know, kids, kids are back at school, uh, football season started, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they are not supporting the Reds. They, they had a one-game lead, first game of the series. No one showed up to support the Reds. I, I mean, a team, you know, that caliber, the Reds, you know, playing their rival, you would think they would pack the stands. They had 10,000, one of the smallest crowds of the year. I don't know what they had today for the, the game, but uh, since I posted, I think it was uh, Bob Nightingale said, you know, it's, fans can look in the mirror when they, if the Reds blow this because they have no support. And in the dog days, you need that fan base to support you and to get you to the next level and just to jack you up, you know, so to speak. And, and the Red fans just haven't been showing up. Well, Ben, I, I think you make a little bit of an interesting point, and I think it's been an ongoing concern for a decade now uh, that the Reds have not been able to get a great home field advantage in terms of crowd support, particularly after the midway point of the season. A lot of that in recent years has been because they've not been relevant. Now they are relevant, and they are not getting the support that they want or need or feel like they need. Uh, I, I guess I'm not sure that I would argue strongly one way or the other. Do I believe that the fans ought to be at the games? Yes. Do I understand that in the middle of a pandemic with COVID and the other things that are are also factors in this and the timing on the calendar, uh, I, I can understand why crowds are smaller. I think 10,000 is borderline unacceptable for a, a, a town that claims to be a baseball town. It was 10,365 this afternoon. And, and it's, it's the thing, you know, I'm, you know, I drive from, I've been down there 10 times this year. They're one in nine in my 10 visits, which is not good. So I should probably stay away. But at the same time, I, you know, I go down a couple hours before the game and go to the bars and talk to people and all the people from West Virginia, Indianapolis, <laughs> the locals do not, I, I never talk to any locals. They're all from, you know, two, three hours away. And it, it just amazes me because if I live closer, I go to even more games and, and I understand, you know, that, that it made a lot of sense. You know, we could blame, okay, we blamed for a while. We blamed the bullpen. They went out and the bullpen help. Now they're right in the middle of the, in the league in the bullpen. You know, they're, they're, they're respectable now. But it just, the support is, is unbelievable. You know, I'm going to Chicago. I'm going to Chicago next week, you know, for, for Memorial or Labor. I'm trying to do my part. And it just, it just seems like for some reason we find excuses not to go and complain why we don't go and to go and support them, you know. Oh, Ben, we greatly appreciate the call. I think you make an interesting point and a valid point. Thanks so much for listening to the show and tuning in. Uh, you the, know, the, uh, quickly, the problem I have with the uh, – well, it, it's the fans not supporting them. It ain't the fans hitting 71. It's Eugenio Suarez hitting 171. It ain't the fans hitting 210. That's Mike Moustakas. It ain't Tony San- – the fans aren't Tony Santion. Like, there there are issues throughout their roster that they have won in spite of several times. But the, the idea that, you know, it, it, it's you know, for Bob Nightingale to say, well, they're not getting the support. The Tampa Bay Rays played in the damn World Series last year, and they get 4,500 people to their games. It is not the fans' fault or responsibility to will them to a wild card berth. I think it's two very separate arguments, and that's what that's what my stance always has been you and can, always will be. You can have a, a, bigger, a bigger point to make of, hey, if this is a quote-unquote baseball city, where, by God, we deserve to play the first game every season because we're such a baseball city, and then you're in the wild card hunt. Not just the wild card hunt, you're in the wild card spot on September 1st, and you get 10,000 folks out to a game. I, I think you, you don't really have a, a notch to hang your hat on at that point, but 
that's not the reason they are absolutely dreadful the last week and a half. No, again, I, I think we're having two separate conversations. Do I think it's shameful that the Reds don't draw better than they do? Yes, I right. do think it is. Have I been down to a game this year? No, I haven't, and I don't live that far away. I normally, I would, would get to one or two games a year. I haven't been for about four years. I haven't been to a game. Um, but that that is a city that claims to be a baseball city. That's right. a city with a really nice park. It's a good experience when you go to the games. There's lots of reasons to go, and they've not drawn well for a number of reasons. And I can say that and feel very passionately that Ben made a good point about that being a problem. I cannot and will not accept that, that that's a share in the blame because I don't right. know how big were the crowds when Joey Votto homered for seven consecutive games and this team looked like they were getting a corner turned and and if if the fans and I'm again I'm not guessing I I'm not I don't know I am guessing that the crowds weren't markedly larger then than they are now although they may have been somewhat larger you know I still would like to not have to say that I think the fans are contributing to the fact that in the last seven games and mind you the Reds I think are two and six in their last eight. Okay, in the last seven games, and I used seven because Vado had a seven consecutive game homer streak, and part of this is just baseball, but also part of this is the clutch time of the year when it's not okay to say, well, it's just baseball slumps happen. In the last seven games, Joey Votto, for example, has 21 at-bats. He's walked three times and struck out 10. He's got a slugging percentage of 190. His on-base is 222. He's hitting 0.95. He's got two hits in seven games. Now, and they've they've lost five of those seven or six of those seven. I think five of those seven. Um, on, on some level, your guys have to get it done when it's time to get it done. And they had an opportunity to build a lead. They didn't do it. Now they've put themselves in a position where they're playing meaningful games against a division rival. And we're watching what's happening. The night Joey Votto got his 2,000th hit. There were 15,000 people in the stands. Yeah. 15,000. Mm-hmm. The night the cornerstone franchise player gets the 2,000 mark. 15,000. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm looking again, for, though, when he hits seven, I'm trying to get. Yeah, that'd be a, a seven game run of looking at crowds, but you're talking about they, they don't, they haven't drawn well. I don't like it. I think it's unfortunate. I think it's borderline inexcusable for that city. But I don't, I'm not prepared to look at this team and say if, if we supported them more, maybe they wouldn't be in this position. I, I, I just don't feel that way. It's professional sports, and we're not the only franchise, the Reds aren't the only franchise dealing with uh, low attendance. And there are franchises that have similar payrolls and similar fan turnout that win much more consistently. Um, uh, in a division that's just about as difficult as the one the Reds play in. Well, see, I just accidentally clicked on the one of the nights that uh, Joey Votto was hitting seven dingers in a row, uh, that it was in Chicago against the Cubs rather than at home because I'm an idiot. But there were <laughs> 32,000 on a Wednesday night in Chicago. In Chicago. We could have, a, a, again, an entirely separate conversation about the fan base of the Cincinnati Reds, of which I'm a member and, like I said, have been to a game in four years. Uh, no, you know what? I take that back. I haven't been to a game in five years because I keep forgetting last year actually counted. I didn't. I didn't Man. count last year. So, four years. <laughs> excuse me. Four years and a COVID year since I went to a game uh, in Cincinnati. I, I don't want to discount Ben's call. I think there's some legitimate gripes there to be made. But but the Cincinnati Reds are, I don't know, actively or passively giving away 
a wild card lead, and I feel like it's actively doing so because the guys you come to want to count on, Luis Castillo, Wade Miley, Joey Votto, um, those guys uh, aren't, aren't delivering when the Reds need them to deliver, and we're watching the, the results of that and the outcome. It is time for another Don Jingis Jeweler timeout. We are going to step aside. When we come back, we'll get into some football at 515. He's Garrett. I'm John. We're Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Service master at your service welcomes you to football at 515. Hard work, determination, and sportsmanship create opportunities to be your best. Like Bear Bryant said, it's not the will to win, but it's the will to prepare to win that makes the difference. And that's why it's Service Master. They don't cut corners. They clean them. One of the underreported topics yesterday with the Browns' first official 53-man roster coming out was Malik McDowell made the Browns. He's a defensive tackle. Uh, he is what is about to be starting his fifth NFL season. And if you haven't followed the uh, saga that has been Malik McDowell's NFL career. He was taken with the 35th pick in the NFL draft in 2017, and he has never played a down of NFL regular season football. Before he could get to training camp his rookie year, he was in an ATV accident that uh, gave him a uh, head injury that he took a while to recover from. And then uh, in 2019, he was arrested in February and charged with assault and resisting arrest and DUI. He got in a fight with two police officers during that DUI stop. And then uh, two months later, got found in possession of a stolen F1 Ford, or a Ford F-150 Raptor, which got him 11 months in prison. So he spent 11 months in prison, gets out, and, and makes, the, you know, <laughs> makes the Cleveland Browns. Well, <laughs> a, a year or so removed from a nearly a year in jail. I remember, actually, now that you've brought this up, I remember when the Browns uh, signed him shortly after the draft. Yeah. Um, and I remember a little bit of talk about it. I'm just going to go ahead and say this before we get too far into the discussion. If you have access to the internet right now, and you can go to lansingstatejournal.com, go to lansingstatejournal.com and search for this article. A year out of jail, former Michigan State star Malik McDowell makes the Cleveland Browns roster. A guy named Nate Atkins wrote this um, and, and published it yesterday. But at the top of the article, there's a picture of him in his Michigan State uniform. And then you scroll down about a fourth of a page, and there's a picture of him walking off the practice field in his Browns uniform. My man's time in the joint was productive. <laughs> he, he, he is not the same person physically. Nah. Well, he was a bit of a, of a uh, pudgy, I think is a word you could say at Michigan State. Like he was, a, he was a really good defensive tackle at Michigan State, but he's... One of those fat guys in the middle that wore, I think he wore number four. And all like I'm looking at, year. all I'm looking at, is some arms that just aren't very clearly defined. And I'm looking at these guns walking off the Browns practice field. And there's muscles on top and of he, muscles. He's put together. Um, his his quote is: "While I was in jail, it gave me a lot of time to think about what I wanted to do with my life, where my life was headed. It really gave me the motivation to push and try to fight to get back to what I lost." That was a news conference quote. Now. Look, I, I have said this before. I opted to go into this this line of work and get into sports talk because I've always enjoyed filling in, and, and I like it. I am never going to be a hot take artist. That's not me. I'm also never going to be a guy that screams into a microphone in, in support of or against anything. That's just typically not how I do things. Um, I, I try not to, to be a guy that's judgmental. What I'm, what I'm looking at when I see this is a guy one year removed from nearly a year in jail getting a chance to play for the Browns, making their roster 
when you just said a five-star recruit, all these things, a yeah. second-round NFL draft pick, my mind doesn't focus on those things. It doesn't focus on his past. And we could. We could spend a lot of time talking about that. What my mind goes to is the stability of the franchise right. gives this a chance to work. If the Browns did this three years ago, Whew. they would be destroying not only his future— but their own their own viability right. within their community and and so I just think it's further illustration to me of how far the Browns have come. One that they're willing to do it. Two that they did it and it wasn't screaming headlines. And three the legitimacy of the fact that 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 if this guy fits, it's going to be their culture that allows this thing to be successful. And we're saying this about the Browns. Well, and your number two there, I think, is the most important one because we now live in an age whether I, I hate the term cancel culture. I, hate, I think anybody that is held accountable for their actions screams cancel culture, but it does exist at some point where a guy can't host Jeopardy because he called some girls fat on a podcast 10 years ago because anytime somebody sniffs success there's somebody that digs into their past and says look at this look at this look at this and Malik McDowell would be one of those examples that you could bring up today if you wanted to do that you could say here's a guy who fought the cops drove drunk received stolen property is that the kind of guy that they want in the NFL or you look at it the other way if here's a guy who paid his debt to society who is by all accounts getting his life together and is probably much better off in a structured system like the Cleveland Browns rather than on his own. Well, so I, I, I look at it as a as kind of a positive story rather than the this drunk a-hole can't get out of his own way and yet somehow the Browns are going to give him a job. I don't, I don't view it that way. I certainly do, but it is kind of fun to get to point out that a person has two, <laughs> two viral, viral, arrest, viral videos arrest videos yeah. on, on social media. Which that, now he leads, he leads the Browns with two where Baker Mayfield just, just had the one. Right, which right. He, he, right. Was, he mean, was leading the clubhouse with one. A lot of dudes in the league got one. <laughs> how, <laughs> how many, many got two? Two, how two many viral two videos. Well, viral arrest videos. He's a big dude. It, it's going to take more than you know your general suburban scrawny Seattle cop to, to pull down Malik McDonald. And I'm telling you, he looks like a teenager. Like, he's not, like, gross fat, like, at Michigan State. And then you scroll down, and it's like, first of all, he got a goatee, which I think that's always a good move. And he is just ripped in that Browns uniform. Now, I, I again, seriously, there's plenty of, of time for, and, and you have the opportunity to just hammer all the things that we just said about this guy. I'm choosing to focus on the fact that I think it makes a extremely loud and very, very different statement about the Browns as an organization than we've heard in a long time. Uh, yeah, I think you're correct. I think you're correct in the, if 2017 Browns bring this guy in, Whew. Train wreck. Yeah, it, it's destined to blow up for both squads. But you have structure, you have accountability, you have flat-out competent people running that organization now where you can take that chance and, and feel confident that it will probably work. I wonder how long it will be before I miss the, the disastrously dysfunctional Browns, before I get tired right, of them being like, solid, stable, <laughs> and having their stuff all buttoned up. They just win a bunch of games 20-14 to 14 this <laughs> yeah. year in the most boring fashion, and we're like, come on. Yell at each other on hard knocks. Make it seem like you hate each other. We are due for another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout, and Garrett mentioned it early in the program. It is a uh, Twitter poll question of ours today. Well, but there is, today, 14 years ago, is one of the best days in Ohio State football history. An incredibly significant anniversary for, for Ohio State football when they, well, they did take the field that day, but but it was in a different time frame. Um, 
if you don't know what the anniversary is, if you missed the beginning of the show, we're going to come back and talk about it. But 14 years ago on this very day, we learned that what, what was the joke? Um, how many batteries does it take to beat the Michigan football team? One double A. <laughs> Thank you, App State, for that. It just keeps on giving. We're going to talk about the anniversary of maybe the biggest upset in the history of sports. On the other side of this, Don Jenkins, Jeweler Timeout. This is Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Here we go. They're going to kick the field goal. It'll be Jason Gingell out of the hold of Mesco. Good snap. Good hold. And the kick is blocked. Appalachian State has stunned the college football world. One of the greatest upsets in sports history. Blocked Uh. by Corey Lynch. So that, that was September 1st, 2007, or 14 years ago today, when Appalachian State out of Boone, North Carolina, made the trip to the big house and knocked off the Wolverines. I got a brother-in-law. He is a fabulous human being <laughs> who, happens, who happens to be a Monster Michigan fan. I was going to say, I know where this is going. I, this hope, is from. I hope that he is listening to this. There is very little chance, but I hope that he has listened to this because I've been to the big house twice in my life. I went one year because (laughs) Jimmy Klingler was the quarterback of the University of Houston Cougars and Jimmy Klingler's cousins were Hurleys and Kramers and folks I went to school with. So the year before we had gone to Illinois when David Klingler was the quarterback and watched Houston just get destroyed. So so wait, like David Klingler is like – Former David, record, David record Klingler holder is, for David, most yes. pass yards in a game in NCAA history. His first cousins. His with, first cousin with, with, with Craig with Craig Hurley, the from superintendent Hardenor. at Upper Saddle Valley. Huh. First, yes, he is first cousins with this, uh, David's mother and, and Craig's mother are sisters. Look at that. And so I, I I got to go do some things because Craig and I were pretty tight, and so I've been to Big House twice. Saw Michigan play Houston and destroy him. Elvis Gerbach, that, that whole crew, and then I went back a few years ago with my now wife, who at the time wasn't my wife yet, and my sister and her husband, he's a big Michigan fan. We're down real close when they, they just destroy Penn State. So it went well for Michigan the two times I've been to the big house, and, and not so well for them 14 years ago today. But here, here's, here's the story. I, I have a really good friend who, who is, and to say an irrational Ohio State fan for the bulk of his life would be more than an accurate statement no, are, and a fair statement. All? I mean, well, not like this guy. I mean, he, he, <laughs> he, he, would, he would voluntarily tell you that I just, I just hope I won't be an idiot today before we went to games. This All is right. a guy who, when Michigan State beat him in 98, I got the call at like 3 a.m. that I knew from 11 o'clock on was coming at some point, and it came at 3 a.m., so, regardless, we go that day. Ohio State played Youngstown State that day. And I remember, we're, you know, we're feeling bad. It's FCS school. It's Youngstown State. Hey, so is Michigan, it's, so we don't have to feel too bad. Right. It, Ohio State wins 38-6 in a completely Trestle-esque game that they should have won 100 to nothing. And Yeah, and so on that day, I don't have a ticket, but my buddy hosts three or four tailgates a year at Ohio State games. He tailgates at the Fawcett Center, always a big setup, and there's always a zillion people tailgating in that area, so you just kind of make it a big block party. Mm-hmm. And they got tickets, they go to the game. Well, we are outside 
tailgating and all we've got is food. But next to us is a guy with a, a, a decent sized TV. I don't know. I, wide enough that you got to kind of widen your arms out to get on either side of it. And we are standing there with a group of people we've never met watching this Michigan game unfold. And as Michigan is lining up for that field goal that we just listened to, my buddy gets in the front of the entire crowd of people, and he's got one hand on the right side of the TV, one hand on the left side of the TV. He's on his knees, and his nose is about four and a half inches from the screen. And they blocked that kick, and he picked that TV up off the stand, and he's screaming, Go! 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 And when when it ended, he sat that TV down, and he rocked onto his back, and there were tears running down his face. I've never... He'll never be that happy for a Buckeye win. It don't matter oh, how long no, he absolutely. Lives, he will never be as happy for a Buckeye win as he was for watching that loss that day. One of the greatest experiences as a fan of just communally speaking. Right, watching all of these people. There were people were first of all, they were so overserved. It wasn't even fair. <laughs> and 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 then they just everybody cuts loose. But we're around sixty people. We don't know any of them, and he's holding their TV in his hands with tears streaming down his face. And all I'm saying is, I can't believe I'm here for this. Well, I, I was gonna say, is he holding it, holding the TV in his hands? If they make this field goal, he's gonna smash this well, son that, of a bitch. That's my fear. Like, if they kick a field goal and win 35-34 over Appalachian State, is he gonna smash somebody that he doesn't know is a TV? I, I can just tell you the the, the joy that I saw in him. I, it was equal parts. Like, I was warm and fuzzy inside, but but equally, I was like, God, we're, we're all pretty sad <laughs> because it, it is. Because you're it, just taking joy so much somebody joy. Else's failure. So much joy. Somebody else's failure. No, like, so I was 17, and I, so I have a younger brother, and my younger brother and I couldn't be pretty well more different. Well, I'm like. <laughs> inject football into my veins he's like watching pokemon and stuff like that like and so he's pissed because we got one tv with cable and he wants to watch whatever and i'm like we are watching appalachian state michigan because this is going to be a good game i had no idea it was going to be 34 32 but i'm in that same boat that when the kick is blocked i don't care that appalachian state just needs to fall on it like they don't have to run it back they've they've already won the game but in that same situation i'm screaming Go! 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 Because I want it to be 40 to 32 and make it look like they never had a shot. Uh, But it was the single, one of the greatest moments. I've got so many great college football moments, and that one might be the single greatest one. Great article by Andy Staples on SportsIllustrated.com. It was on the, I think, the 10-year anniversary of of the, the upset when he went and rewrote a lot of the details behind it and got quotes from a lot of the people that were involved, players, coaches, uh, about the event. Armani Edwards was the starting quarterback for App State, a really athletic left-handed kid. Could, I mean, t- typical spread offense quarterback, beat you with his legs, throw it well enough. Um, but he's quoted in the article, the one thing he's quoted as saying is, that was the first time I'd ever been on a plane when they let me go up there. <laughs> and my stomach dropped. And then it was, the next quote was, I had some stuff to overcome that day. (laughs) (laughs) And overcome he did. So So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take some calls here, at least one if we can. We're going to go to Tim from Lima on line one. Uh, Tim from Lima, go ahead and thanks for calling the program. Hey guys, how are you doing this afternoon? Very, very well. I'm sure you're not going to call in to try and defend the Wolverines, right? (laughs) 
Well, I'll tell you what, that day 14 years ago, I had, uh, I was down working the Kirk Hoopster Classic in uh, Cincinnati. I had Mission Gato High School. We were playing Cincinnati Molar. But, uh, our good friend that we all know, Aaron Matthews, had called me earlier that day. When that happened, he said, Tim, we're watching Michigan play App State and they're getting ready to kick a field goal to win the game. So I had him on radio as my bus was loading up. And when they blocked that kick, I thought everybody on Aaron's end of the film was going to go wacko. Uh, when they get it, I was jumping up and down. Come to find out that the uh, team physician for Michigan was a University of Michigan grad, so we never told him until afterwards. And when we told him, I thought he was going to lose it. That's about that was just about as much fun as when I had fans from the University of Toledo took him up to Ann Arbor when Toledo beat. Uh, Michigan and Ann Arbor. You know the joke about that one, didn't you? Ann Arbor just can't sh- find a way to Columbus because they can't get past Toledo. Garrett just shared that with me during the last break. I had forgotten about that one, but yeah. Yeah, I, I thought the, I I remember, thought the how many batteries it takes to be. I remember my wildest dreams I thought I'd be bringing home happy fans to the University of Toledo from the big house. <laughs> that was pretty much the end of uh, Rich. That, that, the, the Appalachian State was the beginning of the end for Rich Rodriguez. I, I certainly would agree with that statement. No question about that. Tim, we appreciate the call very much. Yep. Tim Ludwig, Lima Senior Sports Historian and overall uh, lunatic Buckeye fan like a lot of us. <laughs> like most of us. <laughs> What's great, like, so Michigan lost to Appalachian State that day. They lost to Oregon the next Saturday, 39-7. to So they start 0-2 with losses to Appalachian State and Oregon. Well, and, and again, I, I told you I forgot, and I think people ha- do forget, not only did a 1AA school beat Michigan in Michigan, but they were preseason yeah. number five in the country. Number five, and they ended up beating Florida in the Capital One, twelfth ranked Florida in the Capital One Bowl on New Year's Day. Like somehow, some way, they still went nine and four after starting the year zero and two with a loss to Appalachia State and Oregon. Now that, if you remember, that was the fun Michigan team that Chad Henney and Chris or Jake Long and uh, Mike Hart and Mario Manningham all returned to school because. By God, you know, they lost the one versus two matchup to Ohio State and didn't get to go to the national championship game. So they're going to come back to school and go to the Natty. And you lose 34-32 to to Appalachian State on the opener. It's not gone well in recent years, and I'm talking about the last 14 years, when when Michigan players return to a season – with an agenda like unfinished business or what was the what was the linebacker had a couple of years ago the revenge oh, tour revenge tour yep yeah yep, yep, yep. when when they openly state those kind of things it's not gone well for the no, Wolverines no. <laughs> and I would love to tell you as a guy who always roots for underdogs like hey Buster Douglas was my guy hey Villanova over Georgetown give me all that NC State knocking off Houston you know upsets are my thing. I have to at least be honest enough to say it wasn't like I was overjoyed for App State. I, right. Oh, yeah. I didn't. I don't care that they won. Uh, yeah, I, I mean. I couldn't care less that they I, won. It's just uh, that that day was what that day was. And, and you know, the, the funny thing about it is the beginning of the end for Rich Rodriguez, yeah. But it also. Well, no, so that was Lloyd Carr's last I, year. I, I thought so, too. Yeah, it was I th- Lloyd I Carr's it was, last year. Because here, here's, here was my thinking on, on Lloyd Carr's situation is Lloyd Carr was getting he was iconic just because of longevity on the staff and and inheriting the head coaching position but he had some I mean he won a national title right I mean so but that game was when you started to hear these we got to get rid of car and that was the beginning of that of their and downfall it, and it goes back program. to what I said you know you Nebraska moved on from Frank Solich who was who was the equivalent of Lloyd Carr at Nebraska correct replaced the legend. You know, was I mean, Moeller was in, and I understand it was Bo, then Gary, then, but 
you what what are you going to do when you get rid of that guy what what what's plan a that's going to be so smashingly successful and i'm going to admit I didn't see Rich Rodriguez flaming out like that at Michigan. It scared oh, no. me. Yeah, it, it scared was, yeah. me when I hired him. It was terrifying. But I can tell you this. When that one flamed out, I ain't been scared of anybody else they've hired since. Correct. Now, Harbaugh, I, I, I didn't anticipate this being this way, but I, I just wonder I wonder what Michigan does like on this day. I, I think if you're... They bury if you're, a football if, or something. If you're a program <laughs> with pride, though, there's got to be something you do that... that, that I don't, I don't know what you I don't do. Know. It's got to be so, something to recognize that. Also, on this day, uh, it is now nine years ago, my, my friends and I, uh, we went to the Ohio at Penn State game, where Ohio beat Penn State 24-14 at Beaver Stadium. First game after Joe Pa had uh, died, um, one of our friends played for Ohio, and so we went to the game. And I tell you what, going to the game, people could not have been nicer. It was the best atmosphere I've ever been. I don't know how many brats I ate going to the stadium because there's just people welcome to happy valley you guys hungry because we have ohio gear on or whatever ohio beats penn state 24 14 they missed like four field goals during it should have been worse penn state starting running back after the game tells espn 10 times out of 10 times we win that game well that's obviously not true because you yeah. just played it once so and is, I, it, is I, this I, number 11 <laughs> like, anyway, you played it once i've seen you lose once on the way out of the stadium, I've never been. I've never briskly walked that fast to a car. <laughs> I might as well have been wearing like an American flag jumpsuit in Afghanistan, because it was hostile. I had a similar experience for different reasons. I was in hostile. I was in Evanston when Northwestern beat the Buckeyes Ugh. one year. That was a different experience, but similar. Is that like two thousand three. I don't remember. I just remember there was a guy that came up the steps. It was after Maurice Claret had done his whole thing and. And right. left school. Yeah, so I was gonna say, the guy's walking up the steps to his seat with a, a 13 red Buckeye jersey on. When he turns around and faces the field, the the the, the back of the jersey says "bastard" across the top of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> like okay. where, where he stood on his feelings about Claret. But that that night, uh, yeah, that was not a great night to be a Buckeye fan. But we were talking about something really good, and that was Michigan App State. And I've taken this weight, but like we we should have had a break. <laughs> oh yeah, and we got we got a break, ago. but it's fine. So we're going to go ahead and take one. It's going to cut into our uh, poll results time, but we'll be quick. And water cooler Garrett's got some a little interesting stuff that might make for fun. Water cooler talk tomorrow at the office. He's Garrett. I'm John. This is Cookie and the Monster. Lima Sports Radio 93 on the fan. Final segment here on Lima Sports Radio 93 on the fan. Cookie and the Monster presented by Jerry Lewis McDonald's. You can apply at work at mcd.com. Work today, get paid tomorrow. Uh, we don't have much time, so let's do poll results, huh? Yeah, so we asked, should Major League Baseball doubleheaders be seven innings or nine innings? 61% say nine innings. Also asked, was Appalachian State beating Michigan the biggest upset of all time? 71% say, yeah. I, I imagine part of that has to do with our geography. It, it, what would, if you just said the best upset of all time, what would the vote have been? It's uh. 85. I, I was going to say 92. 90. 92. How about, how about some water cooler talk that might be something that would, would impress people tomorrow? Oh, uh, well, I don't know that I'm impressing people ever. But uh, <laughs> So in February, the day that Ohio State played Michigan in basketball that uh, Ohio State lost, uh, my wife and I, the day after actually, my wife and I bought a couch that we spent <laughs> entirely too much money on, told us it would be delivered in 13 weeks. That was on February 22nd delivered yesterday 27 weeks later but uh, the the biggest issue is my eight-year-old half rottweiler half wiener dog 
couldn't uh, exactly get to the get to the the couch. This one's a little higher, a little stiffer than the old saggy one was. So his first jump to get on the couch went snoot first into a cushion. Uh, it was pandemonium. My wife's shrieking in horror because she just watched the dog go snoot first into a couch cushion and not make it all the way up. And then it's worried. Is he never going to be able to get up? Like, calm down. He'll figure it out. It'll, it'll be all right. But the old muscle memory on the on the run and jump to the couch did not work as well as it had used to. It was I, not not a fun day for him yesterday. I got to be honest with you, Garrett. I stalled out right there on half Rottweiler, half Wiener Dog. Yeah, that sounds like a felony in Dogland to me. Well, uh, so uh, my aunt had a Rottweiler and uh, had a Wiener Dog, and we weren't supposed to go out to potty together. And one day they did, and uh, she. So the, the the Wiener Dog was the mom. Um, so she got. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I got a, I got a barrel chested Wiener Dog <laughs> that is incredibly protective of anything he likes. That is some fantastic stuff right there. So. He's got the little wiener dog paws, wiener dog shape, and his chest almost scrapes the floor because he's, old, he's like got the wiry kind of hair. I mean, he's, he's a great dog. It's just uh, when people see him go, what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> what's the deal with that? Well, listen, you're you're going to have to check out the, the Reds and the cards at 640 if you want to be able to go to the water cooler tomorrow and say that the Reds <laughs> started the day uh, you know, even for the wild card and ended the day a game and a half back, yeah. <laughs> which which could happen, or they could oh, hang it, on to. It's to, They could manage to hang on to a half game lead there. That'll be at six forty. The Tribe and the Royals tonight in Kansas City, eight ten p.m. First pitch. Logan Allen versus Jackson Cower. I checked out Jackson Cower for Kansas City. Man's got an eighteen ERA and a WHIP of three point four. So you know what that means. <laughs> you know what that <laughs> he may means. no hit the Tribe tonight. Right? Just yep. for. Uh, uh, what, what bleeps and giggles? Bleeps and that giggles. Would, bleeps and giggles. That would be fun. That would be fun. We want to thank Jeff Richards, Bluffton High School head football coach, for joining us on the program today, and uh, we want to thank you for listening as well. We will be back four o'clock tomorrow. Cookie and the Monster, Garrett and John, right here on Lima Sports Radio ninety three one The Fan.